This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, July 7th, 2018. And today, we are going to be talking about the brand new movie that just hit the theaters that is Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp. But before we do, uh, how was your week, man? Hey, Daddy Warpick. It was a good week. Uh, played some games, some got some new Dungeons & Dragons in. Meet with me as a player for once. That's uh, that's something new. It's been a while. And uh, did play a couple of board games, including I did try a new one that I just remembered uh, called Kronos. I could bore you with that. <laughs> It's, uh, is Kronos, uh, so is it a Euro game or is it a Western game? It's more of a Euro game. It's a pretty abstract game, but it's got a neat theme. It's it's actually uh, old, but uh, it's actually played on three boards that represent three different epochs in time. And you can, for example, build a large structure in the earlier epoch, and that structure uh, appears through time. It appears on the other two boards. So it's it's... The best I could describe it is that it's actually a three-dimensional game. You actually have to think on all three boards as well as placement on the board that you're on. Well, that's kind of an interesting interesting twist on 3D gameplay. I mean, the only 3D game I've really seen, and, and I'm not saying I have a ton of um I'm not saying I have a ton of experience, but the the one I really know mo most about is that what is it, House on Horror Hill or Oh betrayal at house on the hill yes yes because you're in a house and that's literally three dimensions you can fall through the floor from one into another um but it's, it's not a strategy type game it's not a buildy type game so that's yeah, interesting and there's nothing clever you can do with those mechanics it's just there are there you can just go upstairs or downstairs that sort of thing yeah uh i mean there's the fictional 3d chess uh from star trek uh, infamously, you know, from Star Trek Spock plays, but even people who have managed to create 3D chess, it just, it never struck me as being that interesting a game, but that... Uh, yeah, the, the, well, the mechanics that make it interesting uh, is because the buildings persist through time, if uh, someone has a building in a later time that, uh, that they're scoring points off of, you can go back in the earlier time and place a large building in the same area. And, and when that building ripples through time, it creates a new timeline, and that big building on the second board disappears oh, as if it's never existed. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it, and, and, uh, and I only played two-player games, and it generated a lot of really brutal cutthroat moments at the table. <laughs> <laughs> your your uh, opponent has built the equivalent of the Death Star, and so you put something there, you know, a hundred thousand years ago that just disappears. You're like, well, it never really was, never existed. It's um, a cute concept for a game. It, it, the reason why uh, that's so interesting to me right now is because I'm working on I'm working on the project, and part of working on the project lately has been doing. Um, some world design and in, in, uh, in 
consonants with character design because I'm, I'm building some superheroes, right? And if you build superheroes, they have to have an origin. And the origin typically is some strange place or, you know, some point of origin, whether it's Themyscira, the island, the planet Krypton, um, you know, an alternate dimension, uh, a future, you know, you're from 75,000 years in the future, whatever. So you have an origin point. And so that means developing the origin point so they become part of the world. And one of the things uh, I've been working on is a, a time war where these two nations on two different continents, one's in the Atlantic, so it's Atlantis, and one's in the Pacific. The official name for that is Mu, right? Uh, I'm calling it Promethea uh, because I think basically the, I just thought it was more interesting than Mu, um, where they actually existed up to 4,000 bc and then they got into a war and the ultimate weapons in this war were uh chronal bombs were time-based weapons and so they retroactively wiped each other out of existence it's like the u.s and the soviet union were supposed to do in the cold war with nuclear weapons to destroy the world they wiped each other out of existence and so now they only exist as an alternate timeline that's an alternate past of earth and even their continents have disappeared. Everything that was part of them is gone, except for a few things that were protected with chronal shields. So you're, the board game you're talking about is right in line with a lot of the thinking I've been doing over the past week or two. Uh, All right, you had me. That was actually that was actually a really cool backstory. You had me until you said chronal shields. Well, I need, maybe I need a better name, but it, it's you know a shield from changes in time. Um, it keeps you stable when the timeline changes around you. Yeah, all right. I mean, I guess you could go with temporal shield. Temporal that, shield. That sounds more like a, that sounds more Star Trekky. That's a that's a better name for it. I will make a note of that. Uh, temporal shields. That's a much better name. Thanks. Um, Solving so, all the world's problems one at a time here on <laughs> the Geek Gab. Um. Yeah, I, I, uh, I like the character that comes from this background, and I like the background itself, and it's really interesting to build an alternate Earth um, that used to exist under the, you know, dominance of these two cultures, because they used to rule the world between them. They were, you know, the big empires, and then all of a sudden they were gone, and you had all these, you know, hundreds of different cultures spring up that uh, before had only been tiny little provinces are now huge empires, like the Egyptians, didn't really matter. Bam! Now they're a huge empire that lasts four thousand years. So uh, hey, it's a lot I got of fun. a question that, that yeah. raises a question from from their perspective. So it sounds like there's an alternate timeline where one of those kingdoms wiped the other one out of existence. There's another timeline where the other kingdom wiped the first one out of existence. And because they know how to affect <laughs> time and they understand alternate timelines, why do they care? They. Uh, the alternate past that they now exist in is one in which the time weapons they used didn't have any effect. Um, and so they launched their biggest weapons and it, because they both hit at the same time, they thought they were going to wipe the other one out, like literally wipe them out of existence, go back in time and eliminate their enemy. But they canceled each other out. And so now both of them exist in the same, um, timeline and they can't do anything about it they can't use their most powerful weapons so um, uh, and, and that's because they broke the first rule of time travel <clears throat> is that is that when you go when you have time travel you, you absolutely must kill hitler first yeah. 
Um, they tried to wipe each other out instead, and so that's what happened. So, anyways, that's that's uh, I just the board game is is uh, you know I, I think it's kind of a pleasing consonance with the thinking I've been doing on fighting a time war, um, and and time travel is a really tricky thing to handle in a in a role playing game setting anyway because there's a lot of stuff that you can do as a writer that pretty much only work because you have complete control of what every other character is going to do in the future. You know, um, in Groundhog Day, you have complete control of that. Uh, and even though that would be a better role-playing setting than, say, Back to the Future uh, for time travel. Back to the Future, it, it doesn't really work as a role-playing game because you don't know what your players are going to do ahead of time. So how can you send your players back in time to be alongside their own player characters? It, it gets really, really complicated. And there's been some games that have tried that, but it doesn't really work without some specific rules. Um, and so trying to develop that into a setting for a role-playing game where you can say, okay, yes, time travel is possible, but here's the series of limitations to where you as players can do whatever you want, but you're not going to be able to blow up the world because of it uh, is, is kind of interesting. Uh, you, have to have, you have to have a setup that is uh, a little bit odd. But then again, when I described the setup to someone a couple of years ago, they said, oh, yeah, that's how the old DC Universe um, role-playing game used to handle time travel. I'm like, oh, well, it's a good solution. That's how they do it. Um, okay, I'll, I'll talk about it just a little bit before we go on. The way to handle time travel in a role-playing game setting is that you have specific settings that players can travel to through time travel. So they can travel from modern Earth to, say, 4000 AD, but they can't travel to next week. They can travel from modern to Earth to 10,000 BC, but they can't travel the last week. So in effect, I'm saying they literally this, but in effect, each different time period they can actually travel to is treated as if it were a, a separate plane of existence or whatever. So it's a completely independent era that you can't really do anything in the present to affect because whatever events have happened in between prevent you from changing history like that. And, uh, and then the other rule you have is once you've traveled from A to B, they are synchronized. So one minute that passes on Earth in the modern day, which is the present, is one minute that passes in the future. If you spend 10 years in the future, when you come back home, you'll be 10 years in the future here. So those are the two rules you have to put into effect that make it so that players can do time travel and experience all the cool stuff that that will allow, but it won't blow up the setting. Yeah, that's... That could, that maybe could work, yeah. Um, I mean, cause, because that's that's one of the most powerful tools you could give players, and yep, and, and you never know what they're gonna do. <laughs> yep. Um. So, but anyways, let's. Uh, um. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, because I spent a lot of time on that in my own private life for the over the last long time. Um. There was something else you had. Uh. This week in your continuing game. Oh, well, <clears throat> yeah, but I've still been playing Gloomhaven, and uh, and because of the holiday, I, I may have taken some time off work to <laughs> play a little extra. Man, it's it's addictive, and uh, and I'm just set to retire my second character in that uh, ongoing game. 
It's uh, I highly recommend it. If it's not for everybody, and I've described it on the show before, it's not for everybody. But if you like your dungeon crawls, if you like your crunchy board games with legacy components where you play an ongoing campaign, this will be like pure sugar to you. But and see, I, I was when you first talked about it, how it's a persistent world that changes you make to the board uh, are permanent. I was kind of hesitant about that mechanic, but it seems like it's really working out for you. Yeah, and and it's been a popular mechanic for years. Uh, it all started with the game of Risk. They they printed Risk Legacy, and and uh, you know your wars would change the shape, you know the face of the planet. Sometimes literally when nukes come into play. So uh, that started the trend where you buy a box and you play through it once. Uh, you play several games, but you play through those games once, and then you're done with it. And uh, the most popular version up until Gloomhaven was actually Pandemic, and that's because Pandemic is a cooperative game. Uh, and Pandemic is very fun, and so they made a Pandemic Legacy about it, where you're a team of, you know, heroes and scientists trying to stop plagues from killing humanity. Uh, and Gloomhaven is is even more popular. So so they're actually using a what is now a an established mechanic, the legacy mechanic, with the most popular mechanic these days, which is cooperative games, and uh, and they made something good. Now don't tell, don't tell the designers of the game I said this, but superheroes would be an even better setting, a, a better theme for the Gloomhaven mechanics. I say that because well, I say that because the, it's it, it's a lot like a modern Dungeons and Dragons games where everybody has a cool monster character with a with a fantasy class, and they have all these amazing powers, and they go and smash monsters and collect treasure with those powers. So, just as D and D nowadays is a superhero game dressed up like fantasy, uh, Gloomhaven's exactly the same. If you you could take that rule set and make a superhero game out of it. And it would be just as satisfying. And the only thing I'm thinking about is, huh, I wonder if you uh, actually decided to try and develop that. You have a good chance of getting it published nowadays uh, or publishing it yourself if you wanted to. Uh, yeah, it, I someone, and that comes to mind because someone actually has made some sort of PDF, like superhero conversion for Gloomhaven. They haven't made their own game yet, but it's a, they just wrote some scenarios and first and superhero characters for it. But uh, if you if you could do a full game with similar rules to Gloomhaven, a, a superhero legacy co-op game, the, you yeah you'd probably sell that. Here's the thing about superheroes, and again, this is something I've been thinking because, like I said, I've been creating superhero characters and backgrounds and things like that for the past couple of weeks. Um, you, there are two things that, and this will tie into the actual discussion you know, of the show when we get to the movie. So I guess it's topical. Um, it's not just random. It's actually topical. Uh, man, if we had planned that, we'd be geniuses. Um, but with superhero characters, when you create them, one of the things, at least for me, I don't know how this is for other people. One of the things that I notice is that how well-constructed um, 
the characters who have emerged from a long publishing history are, how well-constructed Batman is as a character, how well-constructed Superman is as a character, how well-constructed Captain America is as a character. And all of the, it's really hard to create superheroes because they have to be original enough for the audience to not think that they're a direct copy of some other superhero. And they have to have all of these, you know, elements that go into them, an origin story, uh, a costume. You have to have something visually striking and interesting. You have to have um, a shtick. Like Captain America has his shield. It's something big and obvious and colorful that he uses in combat. Batman has his batarangs. That's really his shtick. And he has other stuff he uses, but really his shtick is the cape flowing about and his batarangs. Um you know, Wonder Woman has her lasso. Um, so you have to have something that sets them apart visually that's tied into their theme, that's tied into their powers. You have to have an interesting power set that gives your character a, a unique um, a unique feel to it. Uh, and because it's comics, it has to look good on the page. And then you have to come up with a unique and original code name that ties all of this together. It's very, very difficult to make good superheroes. Most of the superheroes you're going to make are either photocopies of superheroes you already know, or they're going to be lame. And um, it, in the comics industry, and I, I'm not saying that this is because of the elements I've just described, but in the comics industry, the last time they really had a wave of new characters who were good was in the early 90s and the late 80s, and characters created since then have never really gelled with the audience. The audience has never really glommed onto them. They've never really become, um, they've never really lasted. Even if you keep on publishing books about them, the audience really doesn't care. I mean, the era of cable, Deadpool, you know, the Liefeld era, the beginning of Image, um, that was the last time we had enough creativity in the comics industry to make new superheroes that people really loved. And in the 20 years since then, they just haven't been able to do it. And it's because making comic book characters, making a superhero, a good superhero, not a lame superhero, something that's interesting is really hard. And you have to redo it for every new universe you create. So when they sit down, if those people are going to create their own version of Gloomhaven, this is the point I was getting to, one of the things you're going to have to do, which is going to make it very, very difficult, is not just the mechanics, not just the game board, but actually coming up with a stable a group of superheroes and their opponents, their supervillains, who have to outnumber the heroes, you know, five to one or ten to one, um, just to have a, a large uh, enough uh, array of villains for the heroes to fight. And that's going to be difficult, creating your own comic book world and your own characters for it, um, and then making them as not lame as possible. So um, I... Uh, I, I, the, anybody who's going to try that, to try and make a board game like that is, uh, you know, my best wishes are with them because they have, uh, aside from the mechanics of the game and balancing them and making sure they work, they have a really big, uh, a really big uh, task in front of them.
Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. The, the the they did it in Gloomhaven by playing on the tropes in the fantasy genre. The starting classes are all about the classes you'd expect, with the notable absence of a holy healer type. That one gets unlocked later. But they they take those <clears throat> standard archetypes, the you know the tank or the brute or the wizard or the uh, the thief. And they twist them around, give them fantasy monster races, and and so each one's a specific iteration of that class. And that would be slightly harder to do with superheroes. But you would you would definitely do the same thing. You would have the the powered suit guy, and you would give you would create a powered suit guy, and you would give him your own name and backstory. But everybody who plays the powered suit guy would have the same set of powers. Oh, Which so you, you push the character creation off on the players. Well, uh, the Gloomhaven didn't, actually. The, the Gloomhaven has characters with backstories. You just put a name on it. Um, if I may be frank, the uh, the writing in Gloomhaven is secondary to the actual game. I mean, there there is a list of character archetypes um, that was made for the... Uh, uh, but it isn't the interlock system, but it was what interlock and hero systems came together uh, to make for a while. They had a unified system that was taking everything from Cyberpunk 2020 and everything from hero games and uh, having another system that made them work together with the same mechanics. Um, it was called Fusion. Fusion, yes, that's it. Uh, and I should remember that because I was trying to find the... They had a free PDF at one point that has apparently been scrubbed from the web. Um, that's very frustrating. Uh, but I'll find Fusion, my copy and send it to you. In Fusion, they had a list of superhero, quote-unquote, classes. Uh, you had the speedster. You have a brick um, who is, you know, Mr. Incredible is a brick, or the thing, or the Hulk. Those are all bricks. Uh, speedsters are your flashes and quicksilver. Um, and then you'd have, uh, there were a couple of other, I think there was a total of six of them, different archetypes Um of superheroes. So if you're going to be making a superhero version of Gloomhaven, you could take that list. And I went looking for it on the internet and somebody had went and expanded it. There's a list of like 20 of them now. I think it's listed on TV tropes. And I think that's just, a lot of them are really fiddly and a lot of them are more about um, theme and not about power set, like patriotic heroes. Okay, fine. Patriotic heroes are a thing. I mean, they really do have, you know, there's Captain America, there's uh, All-Star Girl, they have the entire, uh, what is it, uh, the Force of July is a group of six different American patriotic heroes. That's a thing, but there's no commonality, not like between speedsters. Okay, they're fast and some other powers they usually have. So that whole that's list... That's more important. Yeah, that's more important in a, in a game setting because the whole idea of those types of... Uh those types of archetypes is to summarize their skill sets. Yes. Which, when you're designing a game, is the most important, so that you can say, I'm going to make uh, a new speedster character. I know what types of powers I'm going to have. Right. Um, so so the list was, was partially good, because it did contain all the other ones, but also had a lot of stuff that was, you know, didn't really fit. Um, so, yeah, if you use that list and created, you know, Gloomhaven classes, replacements for Gloomhaven classes uh, from a superhero perspective, and then you didn't have to worry about costuming or the name or whatever and just let players come up with that on their own, that could definitely 
take a lot of that work off your shoulders. You could run with that. Um, so now I'm kind of interested in that. I hey, mean, it sounds good. And, and you should probably try Gloomhaven because it's amazing. Um, so do you want to, uh, now we're on the, th we're on the theme of superheroes, I guess, been running through the show all day. Uh, do you want to jump into Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yeah. I, I also viewed Ant-Man and the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. How about you? Uh, I did. I saw it yesterday, and you hated it, right? You hated it, hated it, hated it. Uh, Daddy Warpig, is that sarcasm <laughs> I detect in your voice? No, it's just a guess. I'm just guessing. <laughs> no, I mean it was there's it was empty calories. It was fun. It was it. Here's the first Ant Man wasn't great. It wasn't very memorable, but it was a heist movie. It it sort of it had a point. It had a purpose, and this one didn't. I think it was supposed to be a comedy. So on those terms, it didn't succeed the way Ghostbusters did or any of those old Harold Ramis penned films. But it was funny. It was fun. There was adventure. There was action. Uh, they they reused that gag over and over again where something really important, you know, something really dramatic happens on screen and then they zoom out to real world scale and it's a funny punchline. Um, it was, I, was that too concise? Cause that's how I feel about the film. I liked it. I, I think it was interesting um, that the scope of the movie, the, for a movie that plays so much with scale, you know, he shows up as giant man at one point and they spend a lot of time being small and then they spend a lot of time being really small um, for a movie that varies so much with scope that the scale of the plan was very, very personal. It was basically the entire movie was about one person and trying to save one person. And then uh, the other thing I thought was interesting, people always complain about Marvel. Um, that all of their villains are basically the hero with, you know, slightly different powers, slightly better powers than the hero has. Um, but in this movie, the one guy who's really the main villain um, doesn't really, he doesn't have powers. Um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of antagonists throughout the film, and that's, I think that's one of the film's weaknesses, is that it doesn't really have a good, solid villain. On the other hand... Like you said, they would have just done the mirror image thing. Yeah, and and. But I like the villain. You're talking about Walton Goggins, yeah. Yeah. Who should be a villain in just about every movie these days? And he did a great job. I I just I was really impressed. I I thought his his time on screen I really loved every time he was on screen. That's him. I mean, he's typecast at this point. I mean, do we want a a <laughs> Gentlemanly, uh, silver-tongued villain, you know, a, a businessman or gangster type with a, who's a, who can talk his way out of any situation. We're going to call it Walton Goggins. Oh, uh, yeah. He just – he was uh, he was a delight. I, I, I found him delightful in the movie, just uh, a lot of fun to have him on screen. Um, and he gets some of the best reaction shots in the, in the whole movie. Um, cause Ant-Man will do something crazy and him and the other villains have to react to that. Like, you know, they're looking at it, they fear, they get their, he, his reactions were better than anybody else's. Oh yeah. He, he did not phone it in. It was a lot of fun. 
Um, so, and I, I'll be honest. I thought that the other villain that you see in the trailers, the kind of shimmering person in the white outfit they call Ghost, I think that they wasted that character. Um, that there were times they did some really interesting things with that character, but that by and large, that character could have been so, if they weren't shooting for a comedy, which I don't necessarily think was the best choice, um, if they weren't shooting for a comedy, that villain could have been just the most um, threatening, ominous, kick-ass person. If you think of from the second X-Men movie, um, where you know the guy's attacking the White House, Nightcrawler is attacking the White House, and he's teleporting around, and he just tears through the Secret Service, knocks him down, just absolutely devastating. This character could have been that for this movie. This character would have a different power set from Ant-Man and the Wasp, but would be so dangerous and threatening. Um, I thought that they just wasted the potential of that character. Uh, if they were to take it in a more dramatic direction, that character would have been a perfect villain. Um, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that, especially if you wanted to, you know, a, a meaner, more, I guess, darker sort of story. Um, on the other hand, uh, there's uh, there's another guest star by Lawrence Fishburne and his character made it so that it, basically he was added to the film so that they didn't have to go that way with the ghost. I Now that you mention it, I think maybe the writers had painted themselves into a corner and they realized, wow, we've got this extremely dangerous and deadly hero. And they sort of used Lawrence's, Lawrence Fishburne's character to, uh, to blunt that instrument so that they could have the rest of the film and not, for example, kill off all the civilians and family members that are <laughs> a big part of the movie. I So here's the thing. Going to be a comedy only really works if the comedy works. Um, did, did you find the movie funny? Yeah, it, it, it had its moments, but the uh, it did it wasn't structured. It, it felt like it was supposed to be a comedy because what else would it, was it supposed to be? Uh, it, so it was a bit of a comedy and a bit of an adventure, but it wasn't written the way a comedy is written, there were there were weren't that many jokes. There were a lot of gags, and with Ant Man, you can just do sight gag after sight gag after sight gag, and they were all cute and amusing. So I'd I'd give it a fifty fifty. I I didn't laugh a lot, but I did appreciate the sight gags when they came up, and some of them were really interesting and really cool. You know, like they are in the van and the vehicle shapeshifts. Um, or the, sorry, the vehicle size shifts, right? And so they uh, at one point have to shrink really low and something happens and a bunch of brickwork is falling all around them. And so it's one of those tense scenes where they're driving back and forth, avoiding all this debris um, falling because it'll crush them. Uh, and, and I guess I'm thinking of like all those volcano movies where they're uh, throwing obstacles in people's paths as they're trying to drive away. Um, and then you pull back and it's exactly what you're saying. You pull back and see that the car is like an inch tall uh, and it's just bricks falling around them. And it's, um, I, I appreciate those kinds of visual gags, um, and some kind of interesting and clever, 
um, ideas like uh, Dr. Pym um, has a large group of these vehicles um, that he keeps in a Hot Wheels carrying case. Uh, and he cracks it open and there's, you know, a dozen different vehicles that he can restore to normal size and use. And when he's done with them, shrink it and put it away in this box. I thought that was a, a hilarious use of his powers. Yeah. And that was really cute. They, so it was pretty much nothing but sight gags from start to finish. A lot of the, the weird quirky humor with, you know, Ant-Man being, a, a you know, a, an average guy who doesn't understand the super science those were, you know, I, I wasn't laughing out loud at that. They overused Michael Pena. And that's okay because Michael Pena was pretty funny in the movie, but there really weren't a lot of jokes. It was, it was, uh, they did, they did, they even replayed the same joke from the first film where uh, he relates a story. And so they do a flashback where all the actors are um, lip syncing to Michael Pena's narration. Which was which is actually pretty funny, but uh, but yeah, I mean they they slightly overused the character because I think they realized maybe they realized that he was the funniest guy in the film, but it wasn't it didn't really work on as a comedy the way Ghostbusters would. So I think the movie is well constructed. No, I don't think the movie is well constructed. I think the movie is <laughs> entertaining. There is something happening. There's no stretch of the movie where it's boring, where they just have nothing happening, or they don't know what to do, so the characters just stand around talking to each other. They they have a purpose. They have a direction. They know where they're going, and they have to they have to keep driving the story forward. So they have to you know make it tight. It always moves. It's it's entertaining. There's always something interesting and different and unusual happening in the whole movie. So on that level. It really, really works. The fight scenes are great. Um, the shrinking and growing is great. Uh, except for one instance, um, the special effects all worked really, really well, I thought. Um, and uh, and so I'm not going to say it's well constructed. The plot isn't well constructed. It's a very weak plot. And I think the problem is that they weren't really willing to make the danger as visceral as it needed to be. Um, in other words, for an action comedy, you have to have sharp, dangerous action, and then you have to have um, funny comedy. And uh, and I'm thinking Die Hard, where they have you know a lot of action, a lot of serious things going on, but then John McClane is making quips all the time, and there's a lot of humorous moments in there. Um, and so they don't really have that sharp level of, of comedic and action movie, uh, writing blending together. And they don't really have the Ghostbusters level of complete comedy with a few moments of tension. All of the comedy undermines the tension and then it's not really funny. It's a music. The comedy never rises past the level of amusing. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that completely. I think they they should have gone one direction or the other, and by trying to straddle both lanes, they they came out with just empty calories. What? Maybe after Avengers of Infinity War's ending, maybe maybe <laughs> that's what Marvel 
uh, audiences are looking for right now. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a, a movie that'll be fairly popular with the audiences. I don't think it's going to hit again, the Ant-Man movie. And I thought the first Ant-Man movie was great. I thought it was a really good movie. Um, I think this movie has a lot to, a lot to recommend about it, but it's not, uh, it, it's not as good as a first Ant-Man movie. Um, and I don't know how well it's going to do at the box office, but I suspect that Ant-Man is going to be one of their softer performing characters in terms of, you know, rating this versus the, the Iron Man grosses or the Captain America grosses for Civil War or for, um, you know, the Winter Soldier. Um, so it's it's a solid movie and it's, a, you know, it's a good Marvel movie, but it's not great. And I think it could have been great if they'd just been willing to make a few different choices. Um, so, so, so what do you say? Would, is that a lukewarm recommendation for anybody to see it or, or would you say skip well, it? Here's the thing. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It doesn't fail. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, if you were giving it a, a grade, a letter grade in a class, you'd say this is a B movie. Um, like it's not a, it's not a minus. It's not B plus. It's a B. It's not a B minus. It's definitely not a C, but it, it's a B. It doesn't quite raise to the level that would deserve an A on your paper. So I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not going to be, it's not as good as it could have been if they had sharpened up the dialogue, added some jokes, some actual jokes, better humor. It needed better humor. It needed better comedic timing. It needed some patter. Um, the problem is, is that all of the patter between um, all of the conversations between Ant-Man and the Wasp, if you, if you want to make a great comedy, that's a romantic comedy. Look back to the black and white movies of the 50s and 40s where you have, you know, men and women who are attracted to each other, but who are still fighting. And they have this rapid fire dialogue um, that is kind of lighthearted and uh, uh, funny, but at the same time, it's sharp and it's crisp and it moves quickly back and forth. Um, there's any one of a huge number of movies you could watch this movie, I think the, the core relationship of this movie is between Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I think that the core relationship does not really work. Um, because it's always, the conversation is always her being angry and condescending and snippy to him and putting him down and him being befuddled and, uh, you know, placating and trying to... Um, trying to uh, make her not be angry at him. And that single choice means that you're going to undermine all the comedy that could come between those two characters. But at the same time, you completely destroy the romance. Um, a woman is not going to be interested in a man who cannot banter back at her as well as she can banter with him. Um, and a woman is not going to respect a man who doesn't stand up for himself, who doesn't have the courage to say, you know, stop treating me badly uh, or I'm out. Um, and Paul Rudd does everything wrong 
to be a man who uh, the wasp would find attractive in a relationship sense, in a romantic sense. Um, and so the notion of them having a relationship or a lasting relationship, a, a, a romantic relationship, is completely nonsensical. It just isn't going to happen because he is too much lost in a loser mindset. Um, he he either needs a girlfriend who is uh, less physically accomplished, less intelligent, who's more of a mate for him, more of a match for him, um, or he needs to step up his game. Uh, in this movie, and they didn't do a, a you know shirtless shot like they did in the previous one, where he was pretty ripped. I mean, he was bulked up and, and ripped. They didn't do a shot like that in this movie, but assuming he's that physical and assuming he's competent at, at fisticuffs, he has a lot going for him. The character should be far more confident than he is. Yes, he's in bad circumstances because of some decisions he made, but he should, instead of being apologetic and weak and uh, placating, when, when she's whining all the time about how he didn't take her to Berlin, um, he should be, he should say, hey, I made the right decision. This is the right decision. Um, you'd never used a uniform. You'd never been in combat. You'd never done anything real. I'd done all those things, and Captain America came for me. So I went with Captain America because I had the experience. I know what I'm doing. And, you know, things worked out the way they worked out. Um, instead of just letting her run roughshod all over him. Um, when women are pushing against you that way, they're looking for someone who will stand up for themselves. They're looking for someone who has the confidence to stand up for themselves. They're looking for someone who believes in themselves as a man and as a human, and someone who has respect and regard for themselves, someone who could say, whether or not this decision was right, this is why I made it, you know, I don't need you complaining about it. You weren't ready at that time. You didn't even have a uniform yet. So I didn't make the wrong decision. You may not like my decision, but it was not the wrong decision. There were good reasons why I made it. And I helped Captain America uh, and I helped him clear his friend. I did something worthwhile. I did not waste my time. It was not a disaster. You know, I ended up under house arrest, but that was my choice. It was my sacrifice. I believe in what I was doing. I believe that my sacrifice is worth it because I helped the first superhero. I've helped Captain America. This man has been a legend for um, for 50 years. Um, well, that's, that's really good. Uh, I was trying to – I couldn't think of why there was very little chemistry between the – two characters and i think you've hit upon why it's i think it's all in the in the dialogue and the way ant-man acts that's a really good point he he should have been a little more i mean he's under house arrest but he should have been a little more confident and assertive and and um you know hey look i you know i'm taking care of myself i'm taking care of my daughter i did what i think was right that sort of thing and he's got a new business that he's he's opening up yeah. I mean, he, he was tested under fire. He went toe-to-toe -to -toe with half the Avengers and came off really well. Um, yeah, and, and they just they just sort of uh, 
play that made fun of it. They played it for laughs when he called Captain America cat, and uh, and and the Wasp made fun of him. I mean, when you're when you're basically a brand new superhero and you go up with the best and you succeed, you do great, and not only do great, you come up with an innovation in the use of your powers that's better than anyone else has ever been done before. I mean, in this movie, we find out that other people have tried growing to giant man sized, but he did it. He did it more than anyone else. He'd be bigger and stronger, and he was better. He used it in combat, not just as a test on a field. He should be more confident than what he's portrayed as in this movie. He shouldn't be a schlub. Um, and for whatever reason, they decided to go with it. He's more schlubbier than he was in the first movie. Um, and that, I, I think that that is a small, subtle choice that would have made would have made the difference from B to an A. Um, on the movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So um, it's B. Yeah, I, I would say it's a B. Uh, maybe B minus, but yeah, definitely in the B territory. Do we have any? At least I haven't seen any. Uh, any questions in the chat about the movie? Nope. Uh, they mostly were talking about superheroes in chat today. <laughs> and they, they they got caught up on on the superhero chat and 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 ran with that. So they don't want to see Ant Man and the Wasp. There's a lot of people who are getting really resentful at Disney because of decisions they've made in other areas and maybe some, uh, I see potentially future bad decisions that they might be making that I haven't said really much about because I'm just waiting to see if it actually materializes, but they could definitely, they could definitely start going very, very wrong soon and, and really crater Marvel the way they've cratered Star Wars. Yeah, they could. Uh, they could. I, I that reminds me of two things. I read one theory that says after Avengers four, everyone's going to be out. I mean, when when Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans uh, leave the franchise and they have to try to recover with uh, new heroes, that that'll be the end of the Marvel uh, dominance. Uh, and that reminds me of another thing: the previews before this film included at least two or three new Disney films. And live action Dumbo done by Tim Burton, and a live action adventure movie version of the Nutcracker Suite. Yes. Uh yeah. Disney hates us, or at least, or at least Disney uh, is in a is in a pe another period of of not having any ideas. This is like the straight to VHS Aladdin sequels uh, <laughs> era of Disney that we're in right now. If it, for, if it weren't for Marvel Studios and Pixar, that they Disney would be absolutely bankrupt. It, it's sad because their other live action movies have done pretty good. They've been fairly well. They made a lot of money, but it's uh, it's just recycling uh, what they've already done, and it's kind of for kids who've never seen the originals or don't know the originals, didn't grow up with them, whatever. You know, you can see the appeal, but man, it's it's just kind of dreary and boring so yeah and you've seen the animations from that age of disney films you know if you had children that you'd be better off taking to them to a theater where they show the original snow white or dumbo or bambi because there's the artwork was so beautiful yeah um all right i think uh that's everything that's in my mind to talk about um, Stick a fork in us. We're done. 
I, uh, I, I am, I absolutely, uh, there are other things I could talk about, but I really don't want to. So, <laughs> um, any last words before we go? Well, uh, it was a pleasure gabbing as always. Thanks to the chat, hanging out with Jackson Anderson, Bradford C. Walker, and Coyote Khan today, talking about superheroes and stuff. And I love talking about games as usual. So, uh, good times, everyone. Thanks, and have a great weekend. Um, and I should also mention, uh, you know, Simon Hogwood and Adam Simpson are also here in the chat. So. Uh, hello to them, too. Uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been Geek Gab for Saturday, July 7th, 2018. We're talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp and more, more, more. Just like the title promised, we have delivered. Uh, you can catch Geek Gab about every Saturday about this time on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. And you can catch 146 previous episodes of this awesome show. Or if you want to listen to the podcast, uh, we are available on the Apple Store. We are available on the Google Play Store. And we are available on SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gab. And you can subscribe to the show and listen to it on the device of your choice. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are leaving for today. We are out of here. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will. Be back.